0: Party people, scary Christmas to all. Hello, party people. It's the scariest time of the year. (laughs) We're back one more time, well, two more times. A dinosaur story. Before 2018 comes to a a blessed end. (laughs) Welcome to the 2018 holiday (laughs) spooktacular edition of You Scared of This, a podcast in which two grown-ass men watch nearly forgotten ephemera from from Nickelodeon and try to determine if it's still scary Uh, try to determine a lot of things about this movie because I have a lot of questions
1: yeah that's right uh we watched every episode of Nickelodeon's hit horror anthology series for kids from the 90s are you afraid of the dark and now we are scraping the bottom of the horror barrel I think we've hit bedrock here (laughs) we dug through the barrel
0: (laughs) Anyway, my name is David Dykus, I am one of your two hosts, joined as always by my best friend, live from the heart of Austin, Texas, Mr. Eli Phillips. Definitely not the heart of Austin, Texas. Austin is the heart of Texas,
1: but I'm not in the heart of Austin, Texas. We've established I'm in the hat of Austin, Texas.
0: Live from the heart of, uh, hang on, let me look it up again. Live from the heart of Round Rock, Texas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The incomparable Eli Phillips. Ah, oh, thanks. How you doing, Dykus? I'm frantically trying to get my Christmas affairs in order, uh, as I'm sure everyone else is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how about yourself, Eli? How was is, how is the holiday season treating you?
1: Good. I uh, we, We're we recording this the Thursday before Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> We've we, we kept this one in the can for a long time. We're recording this the Thursday before Christmas, and uh, I am fortunately already off work. So I have like today and tomorrow, and then the entire week of Christmas off.
0: Well, I'm working on Christmas Eve and Christmas, so fuck you. I
1: deserve that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm doing quite well. I, uh, You and I were talking about Christmas gifts earlier, and it looks like both of ours are going to arrive on time this year, which is nice. I'm very excited about that, because Cheyenne and I have decided, like, we've got so much other stuff going on just in our lives, we're like, we don't need to do Christmas. So we're going to, like, decorate, and we're going to bake cookies and watch movies, but this will be the first year where we've not really gone, like... Tried to go buck wild getting each other gifts and being excited about buying things for the other person. We've, we've, Eli, deliberately I think you and Cheyenne need
0: to learn a lesson. I think someone needs to go all Christmas with the cranks on you and show you the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> because the true meaning of Christmas, of course, is going out and spending a lot of money on gifts.
1: Mm hmm. hmm. hmm.
0: Yeah. We, that is the, the one part we're skipping this year.
1: So we'll see. Uh, next time we do an episode, I'll report back on how the, it could be that we do this and then Christmas Day we're like, man, this fucking sucks.
0: <laughs> I mean, you already know what I got you. I got you the Blu-ray collection of Fraggle Rock.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm very—the only two things that I, I've gotten this year or am getting, I know what they are because uh, you t- you texted me that and said, do you want this for Christmas? And I said, Yes. And and I accidentally bought myself Super Smash Brothers Ultimate on Cheyenne's <laughs> Amazon card. <laughs> and she said, well, that means I bought that for you. And I said, well, I won't open it until Christmas.
0: Well, there you go. <laughs> the only reason I mentioned that I got you Fraggle Rock, the reason I brought it up to you in the first place uh, in the store where I found it was, how the fuck is Fraggle Rock on Blu-ray? Didn't they shoot that on, like, 1980s Betamax tapes? I definitely, so you
1: mentioned that and I tried to look it up and I can't confirm whether or not it was shot on tape but I do know that there was like a high def remastering of it that was done within the past like 10 years Hmm. and
0: that is what they're using for the Blu-rays I'm very curious as to what that looks like so report back to to the party people once you've checked out Fraggle Rock as it was meant to be seen in glorious high definition
1: I wish they would release all of the Muppet show on Blu-ray it's a pain in my ass that they haven't yet you think they would? I mean, it's the. I assume it's all just Disney at this point doing this. The only reason I don't have all of the Muppet Show is because of how expensive the DVD it was. It was released when like you had to buy DVDs instead of Blu-rays, and so a single season would be like six discs, and they would sell it for like thirty bucks. Ugh. And I don't want to buy all five seasons of the Muppet Show in that state. So I really wish that that would be on uh, on Blu-ray. They need to hurry up. Then I can start my next
0: podcast, goddammit. Alright, well we have a lot to discuss, because this week, Eli, we're reviewing a movie. A movie that uh, quite a few people, quite a few listeners have brought to our attention. This week we're talking about The Tale. No, no, not The Tale. Nope, nope. This week we're talking about The Tale of Crybaby Lane. That's right. We're watching Crybaby
1: Lane, not The Tale Of. It's just a standalone made-for-TV movie from Nickelodeon that was originally aired when? It originally aired October 28th of the year 2000. And that was the only time it was aired until it was quote-unquote lost. Did you read about this?
0: Yes, the story behind this movie and its, its descent into obscurity and rediscovery is frankly way more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah. yeah, this movie aired once on Nickelodeon. It was never released on VHS, it was never released on DVD, it never aired again on, on the main network, and eventually it developed into this urban legend among kids who happened to see it at the time, who vaguely remembered it, r- vaguely remembered what it was, but had no way of proving its existence. Until finally, from what I've read on Wikipedia, uh, a user on Reddit found it a few years ago, like somehow, by some miracle, uh discovered a VHS copy of it from when it aired. Someone had taped it and finally put it on YouTube for the world to see. And since then Nickelodeon has taken notice and has has begun uh rerunning Crybaby Lane as a seasonal Halloween special on the splat. I love this. There was a quote from someone at
1: Nickelodeon where they were like, Yeah, people thought this this movie was banned or like pulled from TV. We yeah. just forgot about it and it got lost.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there were all kinds of theories as to why it only aired once. People like Because no one could watch it and verify why. People thought, like, oh, it was too scary. It was banned from Nickelodeon. We're here, I guess that's what we're going to determine today was whether or not this was uh, too hot for TV. And just as a heads up, we're breaking this into two parts because this is technically a feature-length movie. It clocks in about 70 minutes, so we're going to talk about the first half here and the second half uh, next week right before the new year. Yep. Uh, but before we do that, Dykus, should we discuss
1: the only real bit of Nick news that's happened since the last time we yeah. on the show? Yeah, we have to.
0: And I, I'm, I'm <laughs> I like that
1: st- by the tone in both of our voices, it's, it's clear what we're talking about.
0: I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what it is. We are, of course, talking about the tragic, I mean, for me, unexpected death of Steve Hildenberg, the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, yeah. Steve died uh, last month, I believe, in November. Is that correct? I, I think
1: so. The November 26th is what I'm pulling out now, I think. Uh, he had
0: ALS, which uh, is obviously just horrible. Yeah, yeah, that's a really horrible way to go. He was taken from us far too soon. He was, I think, in his 50s. Uh, yeah, yeah, I want to say he's 57 years old. His, his importance to Nickelodeon, in the 21st century especially, cannot be overstated. I, I don't want to bring the room down yeah. too much, so in memory of Steve, let's just, Eli, why don't you and I just share, what, is, what was your favorite... Gag, favorite memory, favorite bit from Spongebob Squarepants. <laughs> We've talked about my favorite gag from Spongebob
1: on multiple occasions. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I think you're right, but just for old time's sake. My
1: favorite, the best, I will go ahead and say the best gag from Spongebob is when Spongebob is mad about something. I can't remember what. And he's his, his brow is furrowed. <laughs> he's like rolled his eyes upward and his brow is furrowed. And he walks up to Patrick and says, Patrick, I'm mad. Are you mad? And Patrick says, yeah, and he's making the exact same face. And SpongeBob says
0: Hey Patrick, are you angry too? Yeah. What's the matter?
1: I can't see my forehead. <laughs> Which is like such a dumb visual gag about cartoons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it works on like, multiple levels, kind of.
1: That was that joke was only written after like someone was practicing drawing you know, Spongebob or Patrick, and they drew them angry. And this is what he looks like like when he's angry. He looks like he's mad he can't see his forehead. And then they said, oh, that's good. I got to write that down. I fucking (laughs) love that joke. What about you?
0: What's your favorite bit? (laughs) The one that I keep coming back to when I try to think of my absolute favorite joke, the one that still makes me laugh now, is I don't know why this is it. I'm sure there are better ones out there. But it's from the episode where Spongebob and Patrick are trying to paint the inside of Mr. Krabs' house. Mm-hmm. They eventually, they accidentally get paint on Mr. Krabs' first dollar that he earned. And the rest mm-hmm. of the episode is them trying to fix it and just making it worse and smearing paint on it everywhere. Krabs gets home, finds the dollar, <laughs> turns to the boys and says, Did you two get paint all over me first dollar? I'm oh, so sorry, sorry. And then Mr. Krebs picks it up and goes, And then did you draw on it with (laughs) crayon? Which we, the audience, have not seen yet.
1: I thought, you know, maybe he'd buy it.
0: (laughs) I don't don't know why that one always gets me. That will never stop being funny to me.
1: (laughs) Spongebob is a show that we've talked about before, how it probably aired like when we were getting too old for Nickelodeon. And so when it came out, I was very resistant to it. And only as an adult who is kind of like willing to go back and re-examine a work based on its actual quality, um, have I fully
0: been able to appreciate just how great of a show it was. I mean, clearly, not to take anything away from the the later seasons, but those first four or five seasons that he worked on are pure gold from start to finish. Yeah. So yeah. did you know he was a marine biologist? Yes, that's why he he created SpongeBob, isn't it? SpongeBob, so that- yes. And he uh, prior to that he he was also a director for Rocco's Modern Life. He had a yeah. he had quite a life. So rest in peace Steve. We'll forever appreciate your contributions to Nickelodeon. And speaking of contributions
1: to Nickelodeon, let's slide away from the Nick News desk and head on over to Cry
0: Baby Lane. To Cry Baby Lane, the the movie that was too scary for Nickelodeon or something. let's, let's <laughs> or something. Let's dive into this. Crybaby Lane begins with a long bit of narration. It's by Frank Langella. By f- By known actor Frank Lang Is it Langella or Langella? Who knows? No one can know, Dykus. We open with a long stretch of narration telling us the chilling tale of two conjoined twins, the Mueller twins. And we're going to immediately have to, like, sort of break
1: this one down and talk about uh, the... Whatever the opposite of wokeness is <laughs> of, this, uh, of this opening tale.
0: Yeah, this, is immediate, this immediately dates itself as a product of a less enlightened time. So here's the story that, that begins Crybaby Lane. We're told that decades ago, a pair of twins were born. Conjoined twins. Yep. And their family kept them from the world because they were so disgusted by their deformity. Uh, We're told that over time, it became clear that one twin was good, and one twin was evil. Uh, However, both of the twins eventually died from an illness, uh, and their bodies were separated by their father. They were apparently attached at the liver. Uh, The good twin were told- They
1: weren't attached- I mean, well, I guess they were, but they shared a liver. They were attached at more than just the liver, I think.
0: Well, Chang and Aang were attached at the liver, weren't they? What? Chang and Aang, the famous- the, the twins from whom we get the term Siamese twins?
1: I don't know. I meant to do some more research into that specific condition, but I did not. So you know more
0: than I do at this point. The point being, post-mortem, the, the twins' father separated them, cut them in two. We're told that the good twin was given a proper Christian burial at the local cemetery, but the evil son was buried in a shallow grave off of Crybaby Lane. Okay, let's address the elephant in the room here. There's no reason these twins had to be conjoined.
1: Uh yeah, like if if they just said we had a couple of twins and one was good and one was evil and then we they died and we actually mixed up the bodies or whatever like fine. There's there's no moment in this movie from this
0: point forward where the fact that these were conjoined twins actually becomes relevant. It's yeah, it's just there to add this weird like carnival freak show element to it. And looking at it now, it seems like it's in really poor taste.
1: Yeah, uh Frank Langella, Langella, Mr. Bennett, uh, who is narrating this scene, specifically says that due to an embryonic mutation... The infants joined as one flesh and came into this world, freaks. He specifically says they are a freak. And like... That's not okay. That's not okay. Like, in the year 2000, we should have known better than to say something like that. they were conjoined twins probably watching Nickelodeon in the world at the time. You know, they don't need to hear that. That's not appropriate.
0: I guess the only reason they are conjoined is so that they could die simultaneously in the the spooky story. But there are so many other ways that you could have written around that. Anyway, yeah, this was this was kind of tasteless. This opening
1: that is shot all in black and white is kind of strange. It's just a bunch of, like, vignettes, like scenes of the farmhouse and scenes of a field and when it talks about sawing the twins bodies in half it just scenes of a very gruesome looking saw blade like there's no acting
0: it's like a cheap imitation version of the opening of are you afraid of the dark just a montage of these like Mm -hmm. vaguely scary static shots
1: and it kind of creates an atmosphere maybe the first time you watch it uh, the narration is done very, very well. The music in the scene is good. The black and white is kind of interesting. It really sets you up for this like 1950s B-movie horror kind of thing, yeah. which made me hope that we were going to be getting some serious Ron Oliver vibes off of this movie. And while there will be some <laughs> that we will mention, they're just not as uh, not as like thick and, and
0: palpable as I wanted them to be. So this whole story of Crybaby Lane... This sets up the introduction of our main characters. The person telling the story, like you said, is uh, Mr. Bennett, played by by Frank Langella. Just a quick aside here. According to the Wikipedia article for this movie, do you know what they wanted to to play Mr. Bennett originally? Tom fucking Waits. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) How fucking great would that have been? Can you imagine Tom Waits in the role of the creepy undertaker? It would have been amazing. Apparently, Nickelodeon insisted on casting Frank Langella for this role, and Frank Langella insisted on performing this role in his sleep. <laughs> it's not very different from a lot of the acting I've seen from the man. I'm not familiar with his his filmography. I know he's like a he is an award-winning actor. I'm sure he's fine, but I don't think he puts I don't think he gives Crybaby Lane 110%. Is all I'm saying. No, not at all. And that's how much it demands if this, was, if this is going to have that Ron Oliver flavor that I want. So he's playing Mr. Bennett, the town undertaker. And his audience for this story is a pair of brothers, one of whom is our one young protagonist, Andrew, and his butthead older brother, Carl. And his brother is quite the butthead. His brother is a butthead the likes of which we haven't seen in a long time.
1: Is he one of your favorite buttheads we've ever had on our show?
0: I mean he yeah he is. He, I, I'd be lying if okay. he wasn't like for reasons we'll, get, we'll to soon why later. get into yeah he's he's a he's a top <laughs> 5 butt head so we
1: we've been talking a lot let's let's move pretty quickly through this next part
0: mr bennett
1: is the undertaker at the local funeral home and apparently the boys sneak over some nights and he tells them stories and really the only thing that i enjoy about the scene after the that opening narration is when he tells the boys <laughs> the average person swallows five spiders a year in his sleep it's a fact and his delivery there is his best delivery in the entire uh movie but then after that moment there's nothing important that happens here and the boys go home Uh, older brother carl is making fun of andrew for being quote a worm and he's talking about how much of a chicken he is and carl says that he's just trying to like toughen andrew up and try and prepare him for the world um I figure you probably want to talk about the fact that on their bike ride home, we get some, like, midi surf
0: rock. We get our opening credit sequence. We get the first of many, many surf rock songs that are the driving force through this movie. I thought it was just one surf rock song that they loop throughout the entire film. I think you're right. I think it is just the one. Like, this entire movie is... Yeah, the entire movie is scored like an episode of Rocco's Modern Life. Like, the first time you hear this song, it's kind of charming and quirky... Uh, It wears out its welcome almost immediately. (laughs) Well, it
1: works great with, like, the 1960s horror font and the kids riding their bikes through the old town. Like, you really think you're in for this great B-movie, and it it just clearly never delivers on that. Anyway, the boys ride their bikes home, uh, and there is a a dream sequence where Andrew has a nightmare about the the story of Crybaby Lane.
0: Yeah, Andrew has this nightmare, wakes up his parents. The parents forbid them from going to talk to uh, Mr. Bennett again. I think it's hilarious that this, like, one-minute story of Crybaby Lane was enough to give Andrew nightmares. He, He would die if he ever attended a meeting of the Midnight Society.
1: I have to assume that, like, there's a supernatural element to that and that he doesn't just, like, have the nightmare because of the story. Like, if the story weren't true and he heard it, I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. He has a nightmare, he goes and tells his parents about it, and his mom gets pissed that they went over to Mr. Bennett's house. And she says, she's going to have to talk
0: to that man. What an asshole. The next day, Andrew's butthead brother Carl is pissed because now they can't go visit Mr. Bennett, and he begins tormenting Andrew. We get the first of many, many professional wrestling references in this in this movie.
1: Yeah, this is uh, the reason why you have to love him as a butthead. We get... Uh what is the quote that he says? He like he looks at a poster on the wall of The Undertaker.
0: Life is like wrestling. You can go toe to toe for the heavyweight title. Mm, or you can squat in the cheap seats with the brats and the grannies. Mm.
1: Is that what life and or wrestling are like? Because I feel like there are a lot more options in both. Not in
0: Carl's world. Later so later on, just to prove to us that Andrew is a complete wuss, we see him playing we see him playing Lord of the Rings with a kid who's clearly much younger than he is, like an elementary schooler. Yeah, we find out that basically his only
1: friend is his nine-year-old neighbor Hall. And he and Hall have, one of my favorite things, an abandoned shed that's just like full of crap. It looks like it's a trailer, maybe, and they have painted a giant sign on it that says Hobbit Hole, and they sit inside of it and play Lord of the Rings. This is before the Peter Jackson movies; they were ahead of the ahead of the curve. It's it's such a weird thing. Like they make very specific references to Lord of the Rings. They quote the uh, engraving that's on the ring. They talk about yeah. Middle Earth and Sauron and the sword that was shattered and. It's very strange.
0: <laughs> the point of these past few scenes is just to establish Andrew is a wuss. Andrew is a huge nerd, and Andrew is constantly tormented by his brother Carl. Carl says that Andrew can make this up to him by helping him out with his latest scheme. Carl says he's going to lure a couple a couple of girls into the local graveyard and hold a seance, and then he's going to use a talk boy with some scary sound effects to freak the girls out. Yeah, this is his plan. He says that that girls love to be
1: scared. And so he's going to hold the seance and prank them, and they'll all be very impressed by it. So they hide the Talkboy. It's just a little cassette Walkman thing. They hide it uh, in the graveyard next to a grave that they pick at random. Um, And the only important thing to note here is that this grave has a giant weed growing on it, and Carl rips up the weed and hides the Talkboy under it. Did you pay attention to that detail
0: the first time you watched this movie? Absolutely not. Nope. So the girls show up, Carl turns on the butthead charm, and holy shit, we get our first spit take line of the episode. (laughs) That is a line that made me do a spit take. What is it? Carl says they're going to bring someone back from the dead, and the girls immediately have an idea.
1: (laughs) Oh my god, I've fucking forgotten what they say. What is it?
0: I want to bring back Princess Di. (laughs) Whoa! She just died! (laughs) Like the... I I could not believe my ears when I heard it, because like I know this was like four years after, but holy shit, like that that wound was still raw. Come on. What if the queen was watching? But then the next thing they say makes it even worse. I want to bring back Princess Di. Who do you want to bring back, Princess Leia? Oh, man, that just happened, like, from our perspective. (laughs) Way too soon. Holy shit, that is an exchange that has not aged well.
1: All of these scenes with the girls, I just want to get it out of the way now. All of the scenes with the girls are, they're not the most problematic things that we've seen as far as gender politics go, but they go out of their way to like, say, the girls are girly and the guys are not. And maybe I've just become really sensitive to these things, but this entire story is told through the male perspective and there is a whole scene of Boy,
0: is it ever. Just
1: wait. Yeah. There's a whole scene introducing the girls where they fight over who gets what boy-
0: I mean, at least they're showing some autonomy there. Like, it's going to get a lot worse.
1: Yeah. So, they have this seance... And Carl basically retells the story of Crybaby Lane as told to him by Mr. Bennett, the Undertaker. Uh, There are some funny moments here where he can't remember the details or they're asking him questions that he doesn't know the answer to. (laughs) So they're like, he's like, there were these twins and they were, there there was a farmer and he had these twins. Like, what was their name? (laughs) And Carl just like looks at the grave, sees the name on it really big, looks back to them all very obviously and says, Muller. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's, it's such a well-done scene depicting someone doing something poorly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he did and not ev- think this through. No, they make him out to be such a wonderful idiot, and everyone
1: in the scene sees it, and everyone is annoyed by
0: him. Carl tells the same story that we've already heard ten minutes earlier and summons the spirit of, of the good child. And on yeah. cue, some stuck Are You Afraid of the Dark sound effects start playing from the Talkboy... Uh, but then those sound effects are cut off by some sweet late 90s, early 2000s generic guitar rock.
1: Yeah, it, I, it my is my favorite cool. genre of
0: music. Aww. I got some very Are You Afraid of the Dark
1: vibes yeah. off of that. There's nothing more Are You Afraid of the Dark than playing a cassette tape and it having generic rock music on it.
0: So everyone realizes, oh, this is just a prank. But then we hear something else from the distance. It sounds kind of like Zebo the Clown. We hear some high pitched laughter coming from somewhere. Yeah, some like joker laughter. Stop it. And then we cut to some extreme close-up shots of worms writhing in the dirt and the kids running. And glowing. And glowing. Okay, get used to seeing these these glowing worms. We see this is the first of several shots where these worms have had the Are You Afraid of the Dark glowy eye video toaster effect applied to them.
1: Yep, yeah, if you're if you're trying to capture the visual in your mind, just play back the dog
0: from Goosebumps. So we get this creepy laughter, kids run away, we get another wrestling reference. Oh, what? Maybe the sand worked. Oh yeah, maybe I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. The next day, we cut to a completely different subplot. <laughs> As Mr. Bennett, the Undertaker, drives to the local graveyard to meet with the graveyard's groundskeeper, uh, a man named Gary who appears to live in his backhoe. <laughs> <laughs> the scene,
1: these are the only scenes where I think that uh, the Mr. Bennett dry delivery is actually funny because he's playing the straight man against the most absurd character in this movie. Uh, the groundskeeper is asleep in a backhoe when Mr. Bennett drives up to make sure that he's going to be able to dig up the grave for the day. He's like, hey, are you good? Do you have time? And the the groundskeeper is just like uh, a slacker. He refuses to do his job. He makes all of these excuses. And at one point, he asks Mr. Mr. Bennett uh, asks him a question. He goes, "What do you think I live here? You think I live here? Oh no, I thought you just it might be passing by. You guys. And like every time the guy asks a question about Mr. Bennett's perception of him, and Mr. Bennett has to lie and cover, I think is his best delivery.
0: I mean, this. I don't know, man. I thought this scene went, this scene felt like an eternity to me. <laughs> oh, it
1: goes on too long. Every scene in this movie goes on too long, but the dynamic
0: between the two of them is the best attempt at humor that this movie has. So let's rewind just a bit. When we saw the glowy worms in the ground, we got a quick montage of scenes around a town. We never learned what the name of this town is, but the implication is that something mysterious is happening. We see a shot ripped straight from the opening of Goosebumps where an ordinary dog is sitting on the ground and its eyes go all glowy. Yeah, they match the glowing of the worms. And that is important to note because after 45 minutes of banal dialogue between Mr. Bennett and this groundskeeper, uh, they are attacked by this same black dog. A dog owned by a man named T-Bone. Meanwhile, Andrew is trying to decide how he should apologize to the girls from the seance, and Carl makes his own suggestion for what he should tell them. And this is when the show really hits rock bottom in terms of gender politics. sexism, yeah. Yeah, he's writing a
1: a very sincere letter, apologizing and telling him he wants to check up on him, and he's just worried. And Carl comes in, grabs the letter, and, like, starts writing on it.
0: And says this. Oh, Kathy, I am a woman. I want to wear your Femi Scout uniform. There, perfect. I want to wear your Femi Scout uniform.
1: Yeah, as though we didn't have enough reasons to hate Carl already. While this scene is happening, uh, Mr. Bennett has pulled the hearse up to the boy's house. He wants to speak to them, but their mom is saying no. She's like, you scared the shit out of my kids. It's weird that they're hanging out with you. Fuck off. And we get a very strange exchange between the two of them. <laughs> where he's like, I understand why you're mad at me. It's your mother's funeral. I'm sorry. There was a
0: misunderstanding. Her body just wasn't presentable. <laughs> yeah, it's implied that he botched the boy's grandmother's funeral. What happened? It's never brought
1: up again. <laughs>
0: And, I, I, and again, I will, I'll, it's give it, delivered, I'll give the movie that much. I loved that throwaway line. That's the funny thing is what he will
1: occasionally in this dry, I don't give a fuck about this movie tone, deliver lines that should have some weight and impact to them. <laughs> and it just makes him seem like, like he just doesn't give a fuck about anything. The boys overhear the conversation between their mom and Mr. Bennett and Carl gets even more mad at Andrew about the whole thing. Like, that wound of them not being able to hang out has been reopened at this point. And furthermore, furthermore, the boys are worried because Mr. Bennett saying something strange has happened and he needs to talk to them about it sort of confirms their suspicions that the seance has had an effect.
0: After this, we cut to the girls from the seance, and long story short, we find out that they have been corrupted by the evil worms. The worms even come out and talk to the girls this time in a really goofy moment. Back at Andrew's house, we get some scenes of family dysfunction with the boys' parents. Andrew decides he's going to sneak out and and apologize to the girls in person. We get a bizarre and pointless scene where Andrew's elementary school friend (laughs) approaches him and tells him to start dating the friend's mom and be his father. She likes you. I'm not going out with your mom. Yeah, but if you married her, you could be my dad. What is going on here? What what is? What is this much more interesting, much (laughs) more troubling subplot that's happening with
1: Paul's mom? If the movie immediately took a turn into their relationship, like the relationship between Andrew and and Hall's mom, the name Crybaby Lane it just sounds like a film that would have been like no. (laughs) It sounds like something that would have been at like an artsy film festival you're a good kid
0: my mom was right about you you are pathetic there's, anyway there's no point to this scene we get more surf rock music or i guess a re- reprise of the surf rock motif as we learn through monta through a montage that something suspicious is happening in town kids are going crazy vandalism is on the rise petty crimes are, are taking place everywhere we get a crazy montage of kids wrecking cars Stealing cars. Why did this feel like a setup for the Jim Henson Ninja Turtles showing up to to save the day?
1: <laughs> the scene I felt where like the we were watching the Foot steals. Clan. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just a weird montage of like, like you said, kids stealing things and causing mischief. And each scene is really short. So like, the kids appear, they cause mischief, and then they disappear. Uh, at one point, they've definitely stolen a mail truck, which I think is pretty. Yeah. Great. <laughs> or maybe that's just the mailman, like. Maybe the mailman has gone evil. The only other thing to note here is that anytime this family stuff happens that you briefly referenced, they do the sort of cliche 90s, 2000 bit about like, uh, what's the word for like a detached father who's not a parenting deadbeat his dad? He's and, He's not really a deadbeat, but like he's just so hands off. Their mom is implied to be like a helicopter parent and their dad is implied to be completely and totally exhausted by it. So every time she's freaking out, he's like, watching uh, a runway show of swimsuit models or he's watching monster trucks and he's telling the wife that she's overreacting and there's oh like my this God. weird this
0: this dad is just, just another like totally unlikable character i, I want to can, can i just read straight from my notes here because <laughs> i'm proud of uh, during one of these scenes i wrote back to the parents in a scene that only exists to show how much of a dick this dad is how much of a dick is this dad when his wife goes to check on the kids we see him switch the tv over to some sort of Victoria's secret runway show Yeah. Then we learn that his actual name is Dick. (laughs) Dick! Then he refuses to search for his missing children.
1: Yeah, he says... And I'm going to drop in his... Here's what he
0: he (laughs) says to justify this. Yeah. What's going to happen? They get muddy? Yeah, I could drive all night long, never find them, maybe fall asleep behind the wheel, but what kind of message would that send? What are we really saying here? fucking father of the year right here
1: way <laughs> to go that dick of, like i could be helpful
0: but what if i die <laughs> oh my god like I, I totally understand why carl turned out the way that he did anyway so, speaking of carl he and andrew are on their way to the girl's house we get a crazy scene where carl decides to play chicken with a moving train and raises his bicycle across the train tracks uh nearly getting both of them killed uh this carl's having a good hearty laugh about this but he looks down and suddenly he's surrounded by the Glowy Worms! And they transport him to a graveyard where the now-possessed, glowy-eyed girls tell him there's someone who wants to meet Carl. Uh, Carl is transported again. This time he's underground. And he sees some sort of em- emaciated, decomposing Matthew McConaughey impersonator
1: Yeah, it's, laughs th- at him. He's underground in a cavern. It's very Stranger Things Season 2. And yep. this this weird... Like again, I I keep thinking Joker esque and not like good Joker, like from the Gotham TV show Joker kind of thing. Uh, (laughs) this one of the twins is down there and he's laughing and he's taunting Carl. Uh, meanwhile, Andrew is trying to reconnect with his brother, they got separated on the train tracks, and he's trying to reconnect with his brother. Uh, not knowing that his brother is now in the possession of this evil worm lord,
0: so the the evil spirits, the worms, the twin, whoever is in control here, uh, teleports Carl back to the train tracks. But now he is he is in the thrall of the bad twin. The now corrupted Carl leads and leads Weenie Andrew to a dilapidated old barn in the clearing and says, for some reason, that's where the girls are. If he wants to apologize to the girls, they're in the barn. Andrew, like an idiot, goes along with this. He falls in some cow shit. Uh, He has to strip all the way down to his underwear, and then the girls show up and pelt him with something. What were they throwing at him here? Like, snowballs? Rocks? I thought it was eggs, maybe? It may be, okay. They're, like, at a farm. Yes. And then after this pelting happens, a bull nearly gores Andrew to death. We get an extended sequence of Andrew running all the way through town in his red briefs until he finally reaches the home of some drunken rednecks watching TV. Uh, Andrew steals some clothes. The rednecks are revealed to be corrupted by the worms. The rednecks uh, blow up a boat for no reason. (laughs) Yep, they just blow up their own boat. They just blow up their own... They just blow up a boat. For the record, this had to be the most expensive shot in the movie, blowing up this boat. I bet that cost tens of dollars to do that.
1: (laughs) Uh, He gets some clothes and he makes it to Mr. Bennett's where a funeral is
0: winding down well Eli speaking of winding down I think we're about halfway through the movie Andrew has narrowly escaped death no fewer than three times at this point I think now is a good time to cut it off and we'll pick up with the second half of crybaby lane next week
1: all right so that is the first half of this bonkers batshit film stick around folks we will continue this wrap-up next week uh between
0: now and then happy holiday season Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode. I think it's dropping either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So thank you for taking time to listen to us. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, you can listen to me and Eli review every single episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, we are on iClowns. <laughs> I don't know what that. Yeah, we are on uh, Apple Music. We are on Google Play. You can listen to our back catalog at SoundCloud.com slash You Scared of This. We're on Facebook and Twitter at You Scared of This. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you come back next week for the thrilling conclusion of Crybaby Lane.
1: Will it be thrilling?
0: It'll be something. It's looking at my notes here. I still have a whole lot to say. The craziest might be yet to come. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, we'll see you all next week. Farewell. Hey, sorry, sorry if you can hear my cat snoring in the background. I can't get him to wake up and leave.
0: <laughs> I, I, I think that only enhances. Cat
1: snoring can only enhance a podcast, folks. If you get distracted by the weird fart noises <laughs> that are happening too consistently to be flatulence, it's just my new cat. <laughs>